At the outset, nothing in this podcast should be interpreted as legal advice. Further, the views or opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent those of the university. Please email campbelllawreporter at email.campbell.edu for any media inquiries and third-party distributions. Welcome to the Campbell Law Reporter Podcast. This legal podcast strives to expand Campbell University's mission to lead with purpose by reporting with purpose. We hope to breathe new life into the dusty reporters on the shelves by reporting the content through captivating discussions. Our mission is to provide current and interesting reporting on legal topics affecting today's professionals. Listeners can expect to hear from various hosts throughout the year. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Campbell Law Reporter. My name is Hunter Cole, and before we get into today's discussion with North Carolina Department of Health and Human Resources Secretary Mandy Cohen, I'd like to take a moment to thank all of you who have taken the time to tune in to the podcast over this inaugural season. Last week, we reached over 1,000 downloads since the podcast launch, something that would not have been possible without your support. With the school year coming to an end and several of our podcast team members graduating, the Campbell Law Reporter will not be releasing new content over the summer. However, it will return with a new season in the fall under new student leadership. If you would like to give feedback, ask questions, or become involved with the podcast, contact us at campbelllawreporter at email.campbell.edu. In the meantime, please follow or subscribe to our page wherever you are listening so that you can jump right back in with us in the fall. Now, with that aside, today's episode features my discussion with North Carolina Department of Health and Human Resources Secretary Cohen. As a disclaimer, this conversation took place well before the coronavirus outbreak, and any mention of the virus is not to be considered current. Welcome, Secretary. Thanks for so much for having me. So before we get into what we're going to talk about today, just about leadership and a few other things, uh, could you give us your background? Sure, happy to. So, well, hi, everyone. Glad to be on this podcast. So, my, my background is as a physician. So, I went to medical school at Yale. I should say, let me back up. Undergrad, I did at Cornell. I was a policy analysis and management major with a focus in health policy. So, I was, I was thinking about a career that melded policy and healthcare together from the beginning. Then I went to medical school at Yale but only after spending some time working on Capitol Hill. Um, So I worked for the late Senator Kennedy um, as part of the Health Education Labor Pension Committee before it was actually called HELP, and then went to medical school at at Yale, originally did work uh, internationally in in health issues, then realized there's a lot of problems to solve Mm -hmm. right here at home, and, and, and then sort of got more focus on domestic health policy again, and uh, then trained at Massachusetts General Hospital as an internist there. Oh, and I forgot, sorry, I skipped over. I did a master's <laughs> in public health at Harvard um, while I was getting my, my medical degree at Yale. So I took five years, and within yeah. those five years, I did a MD at Yale, MPH um, at the School of Public Health, um, and I did it in health health management. So I did more of the business side, even though it was a public health degree, business side of, 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 of medicine. And uh, yep, yeah, then trained at Mass General, and then sort of had fantastic background and then launched into uh, an incredible career in public service um, from the year since I finished residency. 
So you know you've done a lot whenever you forget that you go to Harvard. (laughs) (laughs) No. So I'm still paying off my student loans for those of you who who are, are taking on um, some some debt right now mm. for student loans. Um, so I I am more than 20 years out of college and uh, and I was gonna say 15 years out of medical school and so still paying off my student loans yeah. and will be for a while. For some of us, that just <laughs> it's just a regular payment like rent. Yep, exactly. Uh, so in your current position as secretary, what are some of the duties that you you take? Yeah, so here as Secretary of uh, Health and Human Services for North Carolina, I run what some refer to as a mega agency, meaning it, it, this doesn't exist actually in every state, but um, generally have almost every um, state function related to health and human services. That means the biggest thing we run is the Medicaid program, which is a large insurance company, essentially, or large insurance provider for nearly one in five people in the state. Um, we also run public health um, and work closely with our all the local public health departments across the state, but we run centrally um, the, the public health work out of, out of the state, um, run mental health, uh, and then also in the human services side, run all the economic benefits, TANF, SNAP, um, LIHEAP, um, we run child welfare, adult protective services, and aging uh, services, and we also run our own uh, state health care facilities. So we have three psychiatric hospitals mm-hmm. that we run in different parts of the state. We have skilled nursing facilities that we run, as well as developmental centers. So we are not only just a payer of care or, de- or a pass-through of money, but we actually also deliver care and employ people who are direct care caregivers as well. So, and, and I didn't touch even yeah. on everything. So we're about 17,000 people. Wow. Um, a budget of $20 billion a year. And that includes state and federal dollars as well as other grant uh, funding in there. So it is, it is quite a big operation. Yeah. Yeah. And so well, I know when you were talking about your background a little bit, you actually didn't mention that you, you know, had any background in the law or anything like that. So how much of your mm-hmm. current position requires knowledge of the law? Yeah, so a lot of needing to know the law in my in my role, but I am not a lawyer. I am married to a lawyer, yeah. um, and so what I would say is clearly I rely on the expertise of lawyers to advise me, um, and um, we have a lot of lawyers here who help in various roles. Um, some of them are in strictly lawyer roles, like in the general counsel's office, and meant to, to meet, you know give us legal advice, defend us in court, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are a number of lawyers who work for me who are in what I would call more policy-oriented roles, um, where they're doing some of the regulatory development, they're writing the rules of the road that sort of flesh in all the details beyond what is written in statute. And frankly, often they are writing some of the statute that, that yeah. often gets passed. Um, so we have lawyers in a number of different roles. But So I'm not a lawyer, but I'm a pretty good reader, and, yeah. and I've, I've gotten a lot of <laughs> uh, really good good teaching from a lot of the folks that I've, I've interacted with and so not required to be a lawyer for my job but certainly a, a an understanding about how the the laws work and certainly a product of what we create here at the department are policies and regulations which are an extension of laws yeah, yeah. so would you advise current professionals or students that want to work in government or like DHHS or something like that to get a formal legal training, or if, yeah. why or why not? So I, I think, again, depending on roles and what you want to do, I think most of you who are listening are already pursuing your legal degree, so good for you, <laughs> and, and um, best of luck in finishing those roles. Um, but I don't think it's required, and I think we have a number of different roles um, leadership roles and analyst roles and, and others, some of which 
having a legal background is really helpful others which you don't need to to have a legal background myself included I think if you want to think about roles specifically in the general counsel's office those are always going to be um, require a legal background and so uh, the, those more roles that are in the compliance space and making sure that we are following the letter of the law mm-hmm. those kind of roles always are going to need legal backgrounds and you're going to see when we advertise for jobs it's going to say you know law degree required right. Um, but then there is a ton of other jobs that I could say you could come from different perspectives. If you look at my own Medicaid leadership team, so my Medicaid director, not not a lawyer, but his his um, his deputy is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So right, you get different skill sets, and again, I think it takes all different kinds of perspectives and skill sets um, to run our successful programs here. Yeah. To get to where you've been and some of the jobs that you've done, obviously it takes some motivations and and passions and things like that so kind of transitioning over to that what what drives you in your profession sure well so I obviously went to medical school first I sort of wanted to make an impact on folks when they had challenges in their life whether that was an, an illness or or some other issue that brought them in contact with the healthcare system but what I realized was that you know you could help someone sitting across from you one by one by one, but if you really wanted to have big impact, you start to think about the system, the system of healthcare, the system that that exists in, um, right? You think about much more than what's happening in your clinic or in your hospital. Yeah. Um, and that's what motivated me is like, I wanted to have impact at scale. I talk about that a lot. And what motivates me is that I, I want to build a healthier North Carolina and I think you need to think about all of the levers that work both through government and the private sector in order to actually have that impact and so that's what what motivates me is finding roles and opportunities to lead that have great impact for overall health I, I think health is so fundamental for someone to be able to have a purposeful and abundant life. My my boss, Governor Cooper, talks about that a lot in his mis- mission mm-hmm. statement. He talks about wanting an, a, a North Carolina that's better educated, that's healthier with more money in their pocket so folks can live a purposeful and abundant life. And I find health so foundational, right? If you think about you know wanting kids to get a great education. Well, if you go to school sick or hungry or having experiencing a lot of violence at home, you're not going to be learning in in as successful a way than if you are well and nourished and safe, right? And so for me, it's how do we put those pieces together to make sure that everyone has that ability to be successful and live that purposeful and abundant life. And I find health is that foundational place to to start from. So I guess I shouldn't tell you I didn't get my flu shot this year. Oh, no. Get your flu shot, everyone. It is not too late. The thing that I am most worried about is folks getting their flu shot. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned about your desire to kind of be in in charge or overseeing a large group of people. And I'd say being overseeing 17,000 people is is quite an accomplishment in itself. And so I actually have known you from when you gave a presentation to my health law class at the law school last fall. And... You talked a lot about leadership there, and so I kind of wanted to revisit some of these principles and maybe dive a little deeper into some of them. The first one was actually something profound that I still have, still keep with me is, is the idea that moments of crisis present an opportunity to advance. Mm-hmm. So I just 
like you to touch on that a little bit. Sure. I, I talk often when I talk about leadership and, and people always ask, you know, how do you get advances in your career, particularly when they're when you're young? And I talk about making your own luck. And that for me, crisis presented opportunity. And so when I got my biggest step forward in my career was when I was working at the federal government and it was when a big crisis happened for us at, at the organization I worked on. It's when Obamacare or healthcare.gov um, was meant to launch in October of 2013. And it did not. <laughs> as it was well, well documented, it did not. It was, it was a big failure. Uh, every uh, Harvard Business Review <laughs> uh, or every Harvard Business Class has written papers on like what happened and why did it fail. Um, so big, big failure, but for, for me, it was an opportunity because in that time of crisis, folks got pulled into new responsibilities and folks who would raise their hand and said, put me in the game, you know, boss, I, what, what do you need from me? It was an opportunity to lead. And so while I, I am a physician by, by background and I frankly didn't have a big experience in the insurance market, um, I, I was focused more on Medicare policy and working with doctors and on quality. Uh, I, I really had no exposure to anything related to the to healthcare.gov and the individual market, but you know when there's a crisis and you raise your hand and say, put me in the game, and I got put in the game in something that I had no real um, expertise on, but but knew that you know it was it was an opportunity um, to figure out how to lead through crisis. And I think crisis also gives you the opportunity to um, like it's a very intense time, so you almost seem like you have years of experience. In, compressed into one month, like all the things happen really fast and on, on rapid time uh, frames, and so it was a really important opportunity. And that's where I say, make your own luck. Meaning, like opportunities will come. Maybe they'll come in moments of crisis. Maybe they'll come, hopefully, in, in moments of, of of growth for a company that mm -hmm. you might be part of. Maybe it's in you know a chance meeting that you have at a cocktail party. You never know that there is an opportunity that will come. The question is, is do you have the ability and have you put yourself in the best position to take that opportunity and make the most of it and making your own luck. So when the opportunity comes, have you built the skill set for someone to say like, you know what, I am going to take a chance on you and or or to say, uh, you know, even though I'm not an expert in this, here's how I'm going to show you I can be successful, things like that. So for me, my making my own luck was bringing whatever skill sets I had to the table at a time of crisis. Well, and that's what stands out to me is that, you know, even stepping up in these opportunities, it wasn't that you knew you could do it or that you, a lot of times people may think that they're on their own if they step up to that opportunity, but you, you know, willingly knew that you didn't have the skill, like the background that's formally okay. for that position, but you would have people around you and that they would be able to help mm -hmm. you and teach you and guide you along the way. I think that's another important principle, particularly as someone is building their career. I would also say go and work with great people, great teams, because you're early in your career, you're going to be learning on the job, um, no matter what kind of role you have. And so I always encourage folks to, to go to places where you're excited about the work, feel aligned to, to that mission, but also where you feel like you have leaders that c care about you and investment in, in you and are going to be, be able to, to teach you, because um, you're not going to... Uh, any job that you enter is going to be um, a, a learning experience, and um, and so take take those opportunities to work with great folks who can teach you. Yeah, and and on that line, I also remember you uh, when you were speaking to us in class, saying that you know I think this was geared maybe towards more young professionals starting their careers or things like that. But you mentioned that we should look for opportunities that 
allow us to work with a good leader, mm-hmm. necessar- not necessarily something that might be like the ideal subject matter. That's right. Um, so you kind of just touched on it, but, yeah. but so why is that more important? And then what's the importance of having a mentor or a good leader? And Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel like for me, um, I, I found that loosening up on exactly the path that I thought I might be on or loosening up on the exact subject matter that I thought I needed to be working on allowed me to open open my eyes to other opportunities that might come. So this healthcare.gov was a perfect example. You may, may be like, what is a doctor doing running the call center <laughs> for healthcare.gov? And like right on paper, you'd be like, this doesn't make sense. But for me, it was, this is an opportunity to lead at an important pivotal moment for this organization um, and what what skills can I build that ultimately I want to take back to the to the core of what I yeah. trained on and uh, related to, to health and health care which is what I've gotten back to in my current job um, but right it was an opportunity what can I do to lead teams what can I learn from a moment of crisis how can I work with great people um, and so I, I would just encourage you, particularly when you're young in your career, right, and you're first figuring out exactly what do I want to be when I grow up, which I sometimes am still figuring that out, right, what, to be open, to be open to possibilities, even if you're like, well, I really only want to go work on an environmental policy related to, to solar energy. I'm like, well, that's really specific, and maybe you're going to hit it out of the park, great, but maybe you open the aperture, maybe there's another something in the environmental space that might make sense that you didn't quite think about and could be a unique opportunity and at least a skill-building opportunity before you get back to your, the niche area that you might have been thinking about. Yeah, and I think as, especially just as students, some people want to go immediately to the niche because we, I think, oftentimes get frustrated with the generic course load, even, you know, from undergrad to other schools, they force you to take classes. But for sometimes that's a good reason. Um, Yeah. So I I just say, particularly younger in your career, just be open, be open to possibilities and and opportunities um, because you never know when the the leap ahead in your career um, will come. And sometimes it's not a straight path. Uh, mine definitely was not, um, and so I just I'd say be be open and listen to your, you know, the inner voice in you to be like, hey, this could be a cool opportunity, and uh, and and take advantage of them. Yeah. One more thing on leadership. So I'm going to give a challenge to you here. So I'm going to name the principle of leadership that you mentioned to us in class okay. and try to see if you can describe it in one sentence. Okay. Okay. Ooh, okay. So the first one be is brief. authenticity. Know yourself, know your strengths and weaknesses. Values. The most important thing you can do you can do is establish core values to guide your team in how folks work together, not just what they do, but how they work together. And third one is vision. Yeah, so you gotta all be marching in the same place and you need a clear vision that everyone ultimately knows how they fit into that to that picture that you are painting for for them and oh that was more than one sentence <laughs> yeah, vision, very important clear way so people know that we're all rowing in the same direction yeah so these last two are more uh, around the structure of leadership but uh so build a coalition leading is a team sport if no one's following you you're not leading yeah. <laughs> and it, it it is never just going to be the people who are in your direct line of authority 
that is needed to be successful in a project. And so building coalitions may be building different different groups internal to your organization, but it's also thinking about those external to your organization that you need to ultimately be successful with whatever you're trying to get accomplished. And, and, and building those coalitions are critical. Yeah. So the last term I have here is operational execution. Uh, yes. You can't be all vision and no execution, meaning the, the, the details are, and the, the, I think the importance of the policies you're trying to enact like the realness of it is when you actually execute on it. So you, as a leader, need to not just care about the policy, but in the operationalization of that policy. What are the people going to do differently? What technology are we going to build? What are we going to invest in? What do we want to buy with our money? What does our budget look like? So operationalizing that in, in a successful way, I think, is just as important as having the right vision and the right policy tends to, I will say, lawyers tend to focus on like the strategy, the policy, yeah. the words. And I would encourage you for folks who particularly want to lead organizations um, and lead large teams of people in implementation efforts, the operational side is really important too. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert in that, but just know that that is um, an important component of, yeah. the, of the work. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. We'll just, uh, we'll add semicolons there. Oh, you lawyered uh, me. Uh, <laughs> So I just kind of want to step back a little bit and kind of talk about more health law, health-related things. So this may be for really just any general person. Um, what are some resources that they may be able to reach out to or, or visit if they want to learn more about health law? First, I should say I am married to a health lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. My husband is a healthcare regulatory attorney. Um, he worked for um, the firm Aaron Fox before we came down here to North Carolina. And so I know that he has found useful the Health Lawyers Association. I might be butchering their name, but the that there there is a health law section of the bar um, and an organization that is just health law focused. And they, uh, I have been invited to speak at their conferences, so I know they have ga- gatherings and they have focused topics. Um, and that is a great resource uh, to be current on some of the, the the active topics. I think they have not just state chapter, but then they have mm-hmm. national meetings as well. So at Health, Health Lawyers Association um, would be a really good resource. Okay. Yeah. So I was actually looking over just some of the DHS website and some of the initiatives North Carolina has moving forward. And one of them I saw was the you know, with the start of the new year, it's the 2020 Health Initiative, A Better State of Health. Yes. And so how can people get involved and help aid this effort? Yeah, so just last week we launched Healthy 2030. So it's sort mm-hmm. of the, the, the blueprint for the next decade. Exciting, you know, moment where you have this not just new year but new decade and thinking about how, how do we want to structure a 10-year look ahead and, and really mobilize our resources and prioritize what I'm excited about in that plan, I think they did a fantastic job. I would think I think anyone who is interested in the health space in North Carolina should look at that as, again, um, a way of looking at really good evidence and data to say, well, where are we right now and where do we ultimately want to go? And what I, I think they did, the, the team that put that together did in a smart way was say, well, what are the outcomes we want? And, and 
and we, they, they took a really broad look at health. They didn't just say, okay, what's going on in healthcare? They said, what's going on in health? And that means looking at things that are beyond the four walls of a mm-hmm. clinic in a hospital. So it has really interesting data and, and, and metrics and goals around what do we want to see related to housing and food stability and educational attainment and incarceration rates. Like all of those are inputs and matter to us ultimately building a healthier state. So I was really excited about that work. And importantly, they took an equity lens to the work. Mm. So we can't just look at the top lines of, well, how many folks are incarcerated? You need to actually look at that as it breaks down across racial lines because it's yeah. a staggering and very upsetting picture. But before that, we, we I was actually just looking at some statistics around sus- school suspension rates, mm-hmm. right? So th- these are, the kids get suspended from school and it is alarming that black boys get suspended at a much, much, much higher rate. And it starts in kindergarten and first grade. Um, And it makes you think about what is that impact on them over their lifetime of both educational attainment and what is that going to mean ultimately for their economic attainment and for their family. So, I mean, those are the kinds of things we want to examine as part of building a healthier um, North Carolina. So I'd encourage folks to check out healthy um, 2030 in that plan. I was going to say, my background is mostly in working with kids and in schools and in education law, so I don't want to get going down that path too far. (laughs) But I could, yeah, no, it is. It really is, even health outcomes, and it's it's really crazy. So there's something in there for you, too, for healthy 2030. (laughs) So I guess compared to maybe what the goals are, where where do you see healthcare going in the next 10 years? What do you see being the biggest priorities? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. Um, so I have a big emphasis on the breaking down the silos of all of the work that we're doing between healthcare and human services. So mm-hmm. I think, again, on this, this whole vein of like, it's all intersecting, right? Education, healthcare, jobs, they all housing, are, housing <laughs> food security, they all are intersecting. And I think that um, what, what I, I, I hope to see continued progress of really getting sophisticated at at linking these together so that it doesn't feel so one difficult to navigate for a family that might need some help but it so we're actually prioritizing resources together and we're actually putting our 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 resources behind some priority areas now we've defined those healthy 2030 is a really good example of where we've tried to prioritize and so we can't do everything look at this we have an early childhood action plan where we're like, look, we got to get focused. We have 10 areas that we want to make improvements on in early childhood, which involves young families. We have, have the same amount of prioritization in our opioid action plan. So you can see I, I have a... Just have so a, many different fronts. Yeah, yeah, I try to... But I also try to make sure that we are really being intentional about prioritizing yeah. and leveraging all the resources. So this isn't just a, a Medicaid problem or a public health problem or an education problem, right? It's really have to have to bring and link all those things together. So I hope over the next decade to see um, a, more of an integration of, of health and, and human services as we go forward. But I think you're going to continue to see challenges in the health space. I think affordability is going to be front and center. It is, healthcare is expensive for every family. Yeah. Um, and it is going to, you know, I, I had thought we were already at a breaking point, but it's still going up. Like at some point, we, we are really going to have to make some hard choices. Um, 
about how to really move forward. And so affordability is going to continue to be a really, really big issue. And, you know, from a state perspective, when we spend more on Medicaid, right, I fully recognize that's trading off of could we spend more on education or spend more on, on infrastructure investment. And so we really have to be judicious with the resources we are given mm-hmm. as, as public servants. Um, and how do we find those new ways to create w- ways to bring down the total cost of, 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 of health care? Those are really hard, decade-long problems and the reason there's always a new problem yeah yeah so i think affordability is going to be front and center and then you know there there's always the um the things you don't know and wanting to be on alert for emerging new viruses coronavirus that we were hearing about from china but it could be another um outbreak and we have to be vigilant and make sure that our our public health infrastructure stays in place so we can do the work to um uh, make sure if anyone we, we, we do see any of these new emerging diseases that we can jump right on it, isolate yeah. it, and, get, and, and, and treat it. So I think those are the kinds of things that we're going to um, see over the next the next decade. Oh, and I, I have to mention climate change. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so you'd say, well, why is, why is the health secretary mentioning that? But I think that climate change is already impacting people's health. Um, just look at the eastern part of our state that has in, been impacted by storm after storm that we know is related to climate change. And like those people who then get displaced from their homes yeah. um, are having housing insecurity, food insecurity, job insecurity. They're not, their kids aren't at school because schools are closed, right? We, we are, are really making it hard for folks to have that foundation of health. So it all um, points back to health in some course, way. Of course, <laughs> right. says the health secretary. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's another place in which we, we urgently need to make some progress. Governor Cooper has sort of put an executive order to start to, to get to the place of, 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 of reining in some of our, our carbon uh, emissions there, but, but so much more that we need to be considering and thinking about, I think will evolve over this decade. Yeah. We're kind of running up on time here, um, and I wanted to ask you one last question. Okay. It's something that we ask every guest. Uh, it's in furtherance of Campbell Law's mission statement, actually. And it's, uh, it's so what does it mean to you to lead with purpose? Mm. Uh, so, I mean, it's a great mission, and it's so aligned with what, why I do the work that I do every day. It's why I'm, I'm in public service. Um, I feel so honored to be the Secretary of Health and Human Services for North Carolina um, to serve the people of the state. I think that not only do I want to live my life with purpose, I want to give folks the tools to be able to live abundant and purposeful lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I see our department being facilitators of that um, for folks who may, um, may may be struggling right now, but I know um, with the right supports can can live those purposeful lives as well. And so I, I think we, we, are, we at the department are very aligned with that Campbell mission. Very cool. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. We look forward to you joining us every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. for a new episode, which can be accessed through your preferred podcasting listening platform.